you will, between Ms. Carmichael and Mr. Mooney. He functioned in the capacity of telling her the truth that she sort of knew deep down on the inside, but she really did not want to face about herself. Our struggle for honesty in this series on the battle for the mind is the honesty that we need to have between God and us so that we can then turn around and be honest with ourselves. It's asking God, Lord, would you show me and would you teach me who I really am? And then accepting that and with his help, rejoicing on the good part of it and working on the part of it that needs to be worked on and worked over. If you turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Psalm 139, Psalm 139, we've got to ask the Lord to be honest with us about ourselves. So often we talk about honesty, we focus on human relationships, but this morning I want us to focus on asking God to be honest with us about ourselves. Lord, show me who I really am. Now, this psalm is a very personal psalm. It's a personal prayer. One has observed about it that it is a prayer in a stillness in which the soul and God are alone. A prayer in stillness in which the soul and God are alone. The writer of the psalm in the process of working out his relationship with God, has come to believe and to discover that God has a complete knowledge of him, understands him fully on the inside out. That God knows our thoughts, our habits, our decisions, our behavior, but even more, God knows the why of what we think and what we decide and how we live our lives. You see, we can analyze and look at you know, I made this decision and I acted out this way and I felt this way, but no change is really going to happen until we understand the why of it. Why did I do that? And the idea behind this psalm is that we're asking God to show me the why. Why do I act the way that I, that I act? Why do I think the way that I think? Why do I behave the way that I behave? Lord, what is the why here? And realizing that not only does God know all about us, God totally surrounds us. We can't go anywhere that He's not there. Everything is happening in His presence. Now, the 139th Psalm divides up in this way, or progresses, maybe I should say in this way. Verses 1 through 6 affirm that God basically knows all. Verses 7 through 12, that we live in the presence and the love of God. And verses 13 through 18, that He created us and determines the development of our lives. And so we're going to ask God, Lord, tough request to make. Would you be honest with me about myself and who I am? Now, Jesus said, if you know the truth, the truth is going to set you free. And when we go to the Lord and we say, God, would you teach me who I am? Would you show me who I am? And God begins to teach us the truth about ourselves, even though it may be difficult at times, even though it may be tough. When God begins to teach us the truth about ourselves, it is liberating. That is part of how He is setting us free. 
because often the why will show us where there are places in our lives of bondage. So as he begins to say, you know, you made this decision for this reason. You've got this thing deep on the inside of you that you are struggling with, and I'm going to show you that, and I'm going to teach you that because that is part of the process of him liberating us. Now let's look at the verses 23 and 24 of the 139th Psalm. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Now my sermon outline is containing your bulletin and I invite you if you would to follow along with me. We're just going to take this word by word here. Search me, O God. The Hebrew name for God there is pronounced El. Also in Genesis you see it as Elohim. And it means strong one or powerful one. The various names of God as they're used in the Old Testament speak to different aspects of God's character and being. And so what he's saying here is, Lord, you have the strength and you have the power, you have the ability, you have the know-how to do what I'm about to ask you to do. You can do this searching. Now notice the first verb, search me, O God. The word there means to penetrate something, to carefully examine it. It is the idea of a surgeon who carefully operates and goes into the human body and examines carefully something that may be wrong and needs to be corrected. Do you remember from your probably your sophomore biology class being introduced into dissection? And you had to take whatever it was they put in front of you and under the teacher's instructions begin to carefully dissect. And as you dissected whatever it was that was in front of you, the teacher would point out the different aspects of the anatomy of whatever you were performing the dissection of. So that by the time you finished the dissection, you had a full and complete knowledge of what you were looking at. My sister is a nurse, and nurses go through more intense uh, classes when they get in college of dissection, and uh, they were dissecting a cat in her particular uh, intro biology class in college. And uh, she brought her cat home in the midst of dissection and put it in the refrigerator. She didn't bother to tell my mother that she had put the cat in the midst of dissection into the refrigerator. So my mother goes to the refrigerator and opens to get out some food. And there's the cat waiting for her there in the midst of dissection, to which my mother, of course, screamed and didn't know what in the world had invaded her refrigerator. But the idea of this word here is that we're inviting God to put a microscope on us and to penetrate into the depths of who we are, to dissect us, if you will, so that we can get a clear, accurate, and full picture of who we are. Lord, search me and know my heart. Now, the word know there, it's, it's fascinating the reason he throws that word in there, know my heart, because the word there in the Hebrew language was used when someone was your close friend. You'd say, so-and-so knows me. And it's the idea that they don't just know me well, they know me because they care about me. They know me because they love me. They know me because they want the best for me. And this is what he's saying. 
God, I want you to search me. But I want you to search me because I know I can trust you in the search process. Because when you penetrate into me, you're not just doing that in some mean, arbitrary way. Lord, you are knowing me. You're searching me because you care about me. You love me. And, and the one that I'm inviting to penetrate into the depths of who I am is the one who cares about me the most. If you were going into surgery and you're laying there on the gurney ready to go into surgery, and your surgeon walks up and speaks to you, and you look up at your surgeon and you say, you know, this guy's been through umpteen years of medical school, he knows what he's doing, and he looks at you, he speaks to you in a calm voice, and you know he cares about you, and he's going to mix his care and concern for you with his expert knowledge of surgery, then you're going to relax. If you're laying on the gurney and a guy walks in that's got a butcher's outfit on and a great big knife, what are you going to do? You're going to jump off the gurney and get out of there as fast as possible, because how you see a surgeon is entirely different from how you see a butcher. And you see, what he's saying here is, God, God, you're not a butcher when it comes to dealing with my life. You are a surgeon. And I'm inviting you to use your expertise mixed and infused with your love to penetrate into the depths of who I am. I can trust you, Lord. Know my what? Know my heart. Know what makes me tick. Know who I am. You see, sometimes we're in a state of confusion about who we are and where we are in life, but God is never in a state of confusion about who you are and where you are in life. And no matter how much confusion I may feel like I'm in the middle of, God says, relax, because I'm not in a state of confusion myself, and I'm not in a state of confusion about your life. So just follow me and listen to me, and I'll show you where you need to go. Now, if you keep your finger right there in the 139th Psalm and turn with me over to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 7, beginning with verse 21. Romans chapter 7, beginning with verse 21. Because the Apostle Paul is going to be talking here about what he's struggling and going with, struggling with on the inside, his state of confusion. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Paul looked inside himself and he said, I'm crazy. I want to serve God with one part of me, but then I turn around and go out and sin like crazy on the other hand. I got this war waging inside of me. You ever felt that way? I know what I want to do. I know how I need to change. I know where I need to go. But then there's something on the inside that just seems to pull me in the opposite direction. And he said, man, what is wrong with me? But then Paul says, I thank God that through Jesus Christ, through the power of Jesus, through the forgiveness of Jesus, through the presence of Jesus, through the glory of Jesus, through all that Jesus is, I thank God He knows who I am and He's going to straighten me out and He's going to get me to victory. So you see this invitation that I'm giving to God to search my heart, it doesn't take me to a place of despair. It takes me to the place of the lordship of Jesus in my life. 
So I'm saying, Lord, search me and know my heart. Know who I am. Show me what, who I am. Teach me. But Lord, I'm not going to just wrestle around and give up and give out and despair because I know you're going to show me some junk. I know that every place in my life where I need victory, every sin that I'm struggling with, every place that I'm getting pulled down, Lord, every place that I'm getting knocked around and knocked out, I know that place can become a place of victory because of Jesus Christ. That every place in my life that's not under the lordship of Jesus that can become a place of His lordship, that is the place where I can know victory. God will use circumstances. He'll use His Word, of course. He'll use other people. He'll use whatever He's got to use to answer this request. Search me, O God. Now, let's look at the next verb here. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. The word try there was a word that meant to test metals, to examine their purity. It's the idea of taking a metal and burning out all of the impurity or the alloys so that you've got the pure, strong metal that is left over. And what are you saying when he says, try me? And this is a tough one to pray. God, bring your heat on my life and burn out the disobedience Burn out the bad attitudes. Burn out the places that I have been hiding in my life that I haven't been giving you lordship of. Burn out the hidden sins in my life that I've got that I only, and I'm the only one that knows about them, but I really enjoy it and I don't really want to give it up. Lord, burn that out. Create in me, God, a heart, a life, a thought life that's pure and burn out all the other stuff. Now, that's not a fun process to go through. But folks, that is a liberating process to go through. When I invite God to do that, and let me let you in on something. If you've given your life to Jesus and you're serving Him, He's going to start doing that whether you even ask Him for it or not, okay? When you ask Jesus to come into your life, you invited Him to start the purifying process whether we realize it or not. So sometimes he just shows up and does it without even asking for our permission in that. But when God begins to do that, it hurts and it is no fun. But by the same token, it is the place of liberation in our lives. He is setting us free. He is also getting rid of the junk in our lives so the good that he is working in us can have free expression to come forth. Uh, back in the 90s, early 90s, Helen and I got married in 1991, and our son was born in 1993. And just about at the same time, there was a national-wide movement in the United States in men's ministry called Promise Keepers. Some of you all may uh, remember that from that era. And I remember going to a number of Promise Keepers meetings, and the first one I went to was in Washington at RFK Stadium, which was a hard thing for a Cowboys fan to meet God in RFK Stadium. But nonetheless, uh, that, that managed to happen. And I remember that weekend from Friday night to Saturday evening, uh, just being bathed in the presence of the Lord and God working in my life. But God be, was doing a work in me of burning out impurities and bringing things up to me that I didn't particularly... I want to see, and I remember just being on my knees there in that stadium and doing business with God. 
But let me tell you what God was doing. Not only was he cleaning me up and cleaning me out, my son at the time was probably about two or three years of age. And when I look back and realize that God was doing was he was preparing me to get impurity out of my life so that what was in me that needed to come out to be the kind of father to my son that I needed to be would begin to come out. And you see, when God takes you through that process, it is not just for you. It's for your family. It's for your close friends. Because listen, if you're in bondage, if you're not careful, sooner or later you're going to put your spouse in bondage and you're going to put your kids in bondage, and you're going to put your family in bondage, and you're going to put people around you in bondage. But the flip side of the coin is when you start walking in liberation and you start walking in the freedom and in the healing that Jesus has for you, that begins to rub off on your spouse, and that begins to rub off on your kids, and that begins to set the atmosphere of your family. Search me, O God. Try me. Then notice the next word, know my thoughts. Fascinating word there. It was used in the Hebrew language to speak of the branches of a tree. You think about a tree. When you look up at it and you see all those branches, he's saying, know my thoughts. Lord, all the different branches of the way my mind operates and all the different thoughts that I have and how it just goes out in all kinds of different directions. Lord, when my mind runs wild on me, ever felt that way? Your mind's just going all over the place. He's saying here, I want you to know my thoughts. Examine all those thoughts, God, that I have. Thoughts lead to feelings. Feelings lead to actions. And then notice verse 24. He says and see if there is any grievous way in me. Now, there are two ideas behind the word grievous here. Don't miss them, please. Number one, when he says, see God, show me if there's a grievous way in me, the first idea of grievous is pain. Pain. If there's, is there a way in me that's causing pain? Pain in my life. Pain in other people's lives. God, show me where I'm causing pain in somebody else's life. And let's just take it home. God, if my disposition, if my attitude, if my my words that come out of my mouth, if the way that I treat my spouse is causing pain, God, show me that. Now, when, when the Lord starts showing us stuff, folks, we got to get rid of pride. Because the only way God's going to show us is if I'm saying, God, rip away the pride. But I can tell you from years of being a pastor and doing marriage counseling, that usually when couples come to me and they're having problems with their marriage, this stuff has built up over Time And it's built up over time because over and over and over again, there's the same place of pain that just keeps getting hit over and over and over again. And I'm saying, God, show me that. As a parent, I'm saying, Lord, you show me if I'm hurting my children. 
I've had a time or two over the years I've had to go to my son and apologize to him for something that I said and the way I did it. And I'm thinking, I'm the dad. Why should I be apologizing to my child? But then I realized that's pride in my life, that I want to admit that I can blow it as a dad. And when I blow it as a dad, I need to go and apologize to him, not him always saying, thinking he should come and apologize to me. If I'm hurting Lord, my family in any way, if I'm causing them pain, God, show me that and teach me that. Men, there is no husband and there is no dad like a husband or a dad who's been worked over by Jesus. When your kids can look at you or your spouse can look at you and say, I know Jesus got a hold of him and Jesus has worked in him and Jesus is working in him. It's going to do wonders for your marriage and for your parenting. Lord, show me in my life anywhere where I'm causing pain. Second idea behind the word grievous is idle. Idle. Lord, you show me where I have set up idols in my life. John Calvin said that the heart is an idol factory. We just produce idols. Lord, you show me every place in my life where I've set up an idol, where I'm not serving you, I'm serving something else. That's the idea of that grievous way. And then I love what he says next, because he's asking for a secure future. And lead me in the way everlasting. Guide me. Lead me along the right path. Teach me, Lord, to think after you. Now, I am a Civil War history fanatic. Any extra time I've got, I love to read Civil War history and go to battlefields and all that kind of stuff. And years ago, we went to Gettysburg. And we made a really good decision when we got to Gettysburg. We decided not to give ourselves a tour of Gettysburg on our own. One of the options that they gave you at Gettysburg in those days is that you could hire a tour guide to get in the vehicle with you, your car with you, and take you around the battlefield. And they'll be with you because in order to get through that battlefield, it takes hours. And so we had this lady that got in the, the vehicle with us and took us on a tour. Now, she did two very critical things in that tour. The first thing is she made sure we got to the right places. We started where the battle had begun, and then we progressed through it all of it. And so she showed us all the way through how, and just taking it step by step by step. But the other thing that she did, which was extremely helpful, is she interpreted what happened at each of those places in the battle. So not only were we getting a progression of the battle as it, as it unfolded over a three-day period of time, but we were understanding it at each place and the various statues. And if you've ever been to Gettysburg, there are statues all over the place. Uh, you know, you're tempted to think, how in the world could they ever fought the battle here with all these monuments and so forth? Do you realize, you know, that, that they weren't there? <laughs> I remember standing out there thinking, Lord, how did we even get a cannon to fire with all these statues? It almost destroys a little bit of the idea of the battle because all these statues. But she would point out the various statues and she'd say, this is General Hancock's statue and he did this and blah, 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 et cetera. So she was interpreting it for us. What he says here, lead me in the way everlasting. What I'm inviting him to do is to get in my car of life and to ride with me and to do two critical things in my life. Number one, to show me where to go and how to get there. 
Jesus, I'm not going to just say, would you give me a map? Jesus, I'm not going to settle for a GPS system that I'll turn on every once in a while when I'm in a crisis, and Lord, help me get there. What I'm saying to you, Jesus, is get in the car with me. See, a lot of times what we want to do with Jesus is we say, man, you're great, you're wonderful, and you're all of this, but I sort of want you to be my heavenly GPS system. So every time I really, really, really get lost and I'm really, really, really in a mess, I'm going to turn you on and get some direction. When I say to Jesus, get in the car with me and set the pace and take me from one place to another, that's a whole different ball game. But the next thing I'm asking him to do is, Lord, would you interpret for me where I am in life? See, the reason a lot of times we get to places in life and we get all messed up and screwed up and we can't figure out how to go is we don't know how we got there, we don't know where we are, we don't know how to get from that point to the next point. And the reason is we are trying to interpret life through our own grid instead of saying, Lord, would you interpret life for me? God, where am I right now? What are you doing right now? And let me say this to you. I don't care where you are in life and sometimes how deep and dark and confusing and frustrating it may be. He always knows and he'll show you his way out. And he'll also show you that he's up to doing a whole lot more than usually what we realize. So Lord, interpret life for me. Lead me in the way everlasting. The same word we saw last week in Isaiah 55, 9. That way of everlasting is the trodden road. In other words, Lord, lead me in that way over and over and over again. I'm not just asking this for one day. I'm asking you to lead me in that way every day. The word for stringing a bow, pointing an arrow. Lord, point my life in the right direction. Lead me in the way everlasting the way that you sustain, the way that is not about the next 24 seconds, the next 24 hours, the next 24 years. It is your way. It's a good way. It's the right way. It's a secure way. It goes on and on and on. I can trust you with your way in this life. I can trust you with your way into the next life. See, when I pray this prayer, I'm saying, God, would you lead me today? Would you get in the car and ride with me tomorrow? Would you do it, Lord, every day for the rest of my life. And Lord, when I breathe my last breath, would you lead me in the way everlasting over to the other side? Lead me in the way, Lord, everlasting. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Philippi, says these words. This is the way everlasting, the secure way. Whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about these things. That is a description of the way everlasting. Let's pray. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I want to invite you right now in prayer to invite God to search our hearts, to try our thoughts, 
to point out the idols in our lives and any places and ways that we're hurting other people. So in silent prayer right now, I want to invite you to do that. And invite Him to get in the car of your life and to give you direction. And to interpret life and to understand where you are in life from His perspective. Lord, search us, try us, guide us, and Lord, as we, we open up our lives to you and open up the deepest parts of who we are, we thank you that we trust you, Lord, like we would trust a surgeon who's got both his skill and the ability and the training, but also has the care. Because, Lord, in reality, we are inviting our best friend to search us. And, Lord, you opened up all that you were for us on the cross so we can open up ourselves to you because you've already proven to us that we can trust your love. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, in just a moment we're going to sing about God's amazing grace and about how He is liberating us and dropping the chains from us. And as we do, if you're here today and you say, you know, I, I really need to come to know Jesus and I really want to follow Him and I want to have Him as my best friend, and as we sing, I want to invite you to come walk the aisle and, and give your life to Jesus today. If you sense that God is speaking to you and saying, I want you to be part of this church family and serve with these folks, then we invite you to come and be part of us. If the Lord is speaking to you about calling you into to ministry, then why don't you yield to that call? And if you want to just come and Pray and talk to the Lord here at the front. Neil, feel free to do that. Father, Lord Jesus, we just ask that you would get into the car of our lives right now and be our guide. In your name we pray. Amen.